Hey, everybody, welcome to the Addiction Unlimited podcast, where you get to learn everything you want to know about addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Angela Pugh, co-founder of Kansas City Recovery, life coach, and recovering alcoholic. To learn more about me, you can listen to episode zero on your podcast app or find us on the web at addictionunlimited.com. Hello, Lana. I am so excited to do this show with you. I have been searching everywhere for a relationship expert to talk to myself and my listeners about relationship stuff. And a lot of my listeners know relationships are the other thing that I study a lot too, as well as addiction. And I was telling you before we started recording, because those were my two biggest struggles in life, right? Addiction Mm -hmm. and relationships. So that's, it's something that I've always been so curious about and how to be better at it myself and more understanding and patient and all of those things. So I am so excited to get into this conversation. This is Lana Elko. And Lana, why don't you take a second and let everybody know a little bit about you? <laughs> well, beforehand, I want to say thank you for inviting me, Angela, and I'm so excited to be here and have an amazing conversation, dive really deep and explore these very important, powerful topics. Um, I am a a relationship and intimacy expert, and I mostly work with women and couples on their relationships. And my angle is to help uh, couples to create the deepest level of intimacy and sustain it. So basically, we're working a lot on releasing all the social cultural conditioning, healing wounds between feminine and masculine, uh, creating a different, more like customized, unique relationship containers where we can be ourselves and we can, you know, um, explore what is true, the truth between us and how we can grow together. So there are different layers into this work. And um, I'm really excited to take this path and explore how it can be connected with addiction. I think it's an exciting topic. Yeah, definitely exciting for me too, because this is, you know, we were talking before we hit record that there are so many layers to this, you know, certainly with everyone. Um, and, and I think on an, a, an added layer with addiction, you know, makes it more complicated. And we have different issues that we deal with, certainly in recovery as we get sober and maybe those around us don't. So there are a lot of things to talk about here for sure. Now, my first question for you is how did you get into doing this? This work. Yeah, that started. <laughs> uh, that started really early in my, you know, life and career, and it was some kind of synchronicity that uh, I ended up like working with couples and relationship. At the time, it was cross cultural couples. I could speak several languages, and that really helped. Like some people, you know, had hard time communicating <laughs> using the communication skills as well. So, at like really early age, my early twenties, uh, I created my own uh, dating agency. It was like more like a serious with a serious intention, like to get married and have families. So, and I was surprised because uh, I didn't have much experience at the time. I was just like going with the flow with opportunities that showed up in my life. But I was surprised that I actually had the gift of 
for like helping people to connect on a very deep level and be authentic and speak their truth, something something that might feel scary to share, you know, to reveal. But I was like that bridge and I received amazing feedback. And like there were actually families created and they have babies and children they would reach out and like uh, with gratitude, appreciation. So that was like my first uh, business, actually. That was my first uh, entrepreneurial uh, kind of uh, adventure at the very early age. And it was really successful and it was very fulfilling. And then I had a few businesses in my life. And then at some point, uh, I had this, you know, searching for my true soul purpose because I did have success. I did have really good life uh, but there was something is missing so I moved to California <laughs> at some point following my inner guidance I did lots of inner work to discover that path and became aware was like well this is what I want to do more I want to dig deeper into this particular topic like the relationship between women and men uh, healing the wounds between masculine and feminine, you know, like really looking at the big picture as well, not just like individual like uh, people uh, or couples, but also like a bigger picture, like what is that, you know, we inherited from our culture and society? Because I also have like background in social political sciences. So I like always like to see a bigger picture as well and have this um, collective consciousness and generational healing also in place so that is just in a nutshell my journey yeah and just all the layers that you just said I mean there are so many things that play a role in our relationships and how we do it and how well or not well we do it (laughs) and something that I've always wanted to talk about on this show because it comes up over and over and over again with my listeners is when one partner gets sober and the other one doesn't and all the dynamics that change within a relationship or marriage especially um, when those lifestyles change so drastically like that and getting sober is challenging enough, right? But when you're getting sober and maybe your spouse is still drinking and is a heavy drinker, those are added challenges for sure and triggers and really, really difficult. And the other side of it is it triggers all of this fear and uncertainty in the partner that doesn't get sober, you know, Mm -hmm. where like, okay, well, how is our relationship going to change? Are we going to survive this? Okay. They got sober now. Are they going to want to leave me at some point? Like how, how does this affect our friendships and how we go out with our friends, family events? Like this is how we dated one another was drinking and we fell in love. Like, where does this leave us now? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see how big of a challenge it can be. <laughs> it's huge. And I can totally see that if we're being really on, radically honest, we can see that, well, there is also a chance that this relationship will not survive because how badly that person who didn't get sober, how badly they actually want to, to heal and get sober and, you know, create that healthy foundation for themselves and do their own inner work and receive support. Sometimes like we really want to help, especially we love somebody. It's like, it's painful to see 
somebody who love suffering and being in pain. It's like heartbreaking. So, uh, but at the same time, we have to understand that many times if they don't say yes, they don't they don't open themselves up to receive support and help and guidance and do something like if they don't make that internal decision uh sometimes we don't have you know we we can't force them like we we can never force them but Mm -hmm. we can run out the tools like okay we do this and this and this we try that and that but it's they have to make their decision internally you know to like okay i want to receive like i'm not uh you know, an expert in addiction, particularly like an alcohol addiction and drug addiction, but I know like in AA certain steps because I had a friend who was recovering alcoholic. So he shared with me and they um, usually say is like, okay, accept that you, you, you're powerless, you know, kind of the 12 steps Mm -hmm. thing. Uh, So if that person doesn't want to accept, if they still in resistance, if, if they still like, uh, they can find those internal reasons and make that final decision. It's like, okay, I'm going to, it's hundred percent. I'm commit to this, you know? Yeah. You can, you can still make mistakes, but it's that internal decision. So that is, I feel the most difficult for another partner to deal with. And it can be like actually addressed to other (laughs) different addictions as well. But it's just like, we have to understand that, uh, our free will is limited with, uh, by another person's uh, free will. So we can't really force anybody. So we have to be in this kind of, I like to say, we have to be in more surrender consciousness and you know show up 100% for somebody we love. But we have to understand that it's their free will that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> has to be in place so they can make that decision and move forward and open up to receive support. Well, I think this is human nature, but for sure with addiction too, is we get very consumed in only thinking about ourselves. We get consumed in only thinking about what's happening to us or what we're not getting, what we need, what's missing. And I think we forget to consider the other person and what their experience is and what fears and anxieties they might have, right? Because we get so caught up in this, just hear me and agree with me and tell me I'm right. And we just Mm -hmm. totally forget to consider the other person. Mm -hmm. What are some really common communication errors you see people make in relationships that are easy to correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And communication is, it's huge. It's huge in relationship, right? Uh, I would say number one is to to be able to fully listen and fully open yourself up energetically to kind of feel into the experience of another. Because sometimes we listen, but we like kind of dismiss most of the information and energetic information and maybe staying just on the mental level or intellectual level and like focusing on who's right and wrong right rather than it's like what is the experience of this person right now where are they you know can we actually feel and have that breach you know of empathy of like can we relate is there a piece of this relatability like can we uh, remember ourselves being in their shoes, you know, like that is the most important, the most powerful uh, 
tool that if we focus on that, like really genuinely, like, okay, can I drop my agenda and stuff and like be completely present for another? That is a huge shift for many relationships. And like, I love uh, integrating nonviolent communication in my work. It's kind of the foundation of how we communicate, acknowledging another uh, and understanding that sometimes we don't receive what we ask for or we don't receive what we need because that person, it is blocked by unmet need of another. Like, so they also have unmet needs and maybe they're not quite aware of it or maybe they, you know, they're afraid to share. There are so many layers of the reasons, right? But the reason is like, there is something that is a, uh, there is a need that is unmet in within another that they are not open they are not open to to hear us to help us to give us what we want and uh, that is kind of the foundation of uh, nonviolent communication tool. Uh, I think it's my favorite tool that I teach couples to, to use. Yeah, I love that you said that too because we do get in that space of oh he's mad at me. And I say he because I date men. So, you know, that's so for me, like that's where I be, oh, he's mad at me. And really, it's not about the mad. It's not about how your person is speaking in that moment or if they're angry. It's getting to what's underneath that and understanding that there's a feeling underneath that mad, you know, or irritable or whatever. And the feeling getting to a place where you can have empathy with that feeling like, oh, wow, wait a minute. He's fearful about something or, you know, something mm -hmm. has made him uncomfortable or he's fearful of the future or whatever the thing is, but really connecting not to the behavior or the reaction of being irritable or short-tempered or angry or whatever the thing is arguing but getting underneath that to what the actual feeling is and being able to relate to that. And then also, I know for me, that's what helps me. That's what makes me want to care for my person instead of fighting with them. Right. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not a fighter anyway. I am a communicator and I want to know exactly what's happening so that I can be respectful I can be a better partner. And, and so I understand my person better, you know, because I don't want to continue to push those buttons if I don't have to. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and by the way, men process emotions like five to 10 times slower. So usually we need to like pace it. Like that's what we, most women like get really impatient or confused that like why, why we can't resolve it because it takes long time for them to process emotions. Like and it's, it's compensated on the physical level, let's say uh, in the sexual connection, they they move much faster than us. So it's the opposite. <laughs> We're much slower. So it's it's compensated, but just knowing the dynamics, like sometimes he needs to go to bed and like process it over the night and maybe the next day, and then he can come back to the conversation. So that's just wanted to mention it because you say like about men-women dynamics. Like that's yeah. a very important piece that it's not because he doesn't care. It's just he, it's like electrical device, like shuts down 
Well, right. It's like, okay, can't take anymore. And he can just literally fall asleep. That's what <laughs> many women like get disappointed. It's like, he doesn't love me. He like, I'm like crying and he fell asleep. It's like, it's his psyche. It's a defense mechanism of male psyche. They just shut down. Like when they can't take any more <laughs> of emotional material. <laughs> yeah. I always talk about to creating a safe space in your relationship where I'd say like, remember, know your audience. So if I'm going to have some serious conversation with my person, I know that men communicate differently. I know they prefer communication differently. So I'm going to go into it. I'm going to keep it short. I'm not going to approach my guy and say, we need to talk. Those dreadful words. I'm gonna I'm gonna approach my guy and go, hey, do you have 10 minutes? Because I have a couple of things that I want to clarify, or I need some clarification on something, or I'm confused about something. And I keep it short and I will make sure I keep it to that 10 minutes because I want to create a safe space. I want him to trust me that when I have something I need to verbalize, it's not going to be dreadful. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. not going to last for hours. It's not going to be a knockdown drag out, right? We have to create that for one another. That's mm-hmm. so important. And the flip side of that too is, you know, for guys, they're going to have to compromise a little bit too and understand that women do communicate in a certain way and we don't communicate the same. So if I'm going to allow you some grace in this, I need you to allow me some grace as well, Mm -hmm. because we're not going to do this perfectly, certainly when we're just learning and learning each other. But yeah, it's so important to kind of have that safe space and And remember who you're talking to and you want to speak to them in a way like I don't speak to you on my podcast the way I speak to my nieces and nephews, right? Because Mm -hmm. they're in single digits. So obviously I'm going to communicate Mm -hmm. differently with them. And I think it's the same thing in your relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Yeah, I love this uh, topic as well, because it's uh, focusing on connection. Like what is our intention? behind the conversation do we want to just uh you know unload all emotional stuff and like speak up like sometimes that is a need and it it, it is totally valid as well you know and men need too they, they need that as well but they just express it differently right or when it's like something that we actually more want to grow together and something we want to like process together then it's the intention is to connect and understand each other right and that's why it's very important to focus on connection and think about it. Like, so what's the best way to connect with this person? Like you said, it's a, if every time you connect with a different person, it will be a different maybe pathway to this connection, to establish, to build that bridge, to establish that connection beforehand. So there is, so it is actually efficient. So you're go, you're going somewhere, not just like <laughs> unloading the emotional stuff. Uh, and that's huge. And when we start really think about it before this conversation, creating that intention, creating that safe space, and really hundred percent focusing on that connection building. You know, mm-hmm. it, it 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 changes everything. And of course the the there are lots of uh, tools, like let's say uh, 
nonviolent communication skills and like certain techniques that they use that can be helpful uh, to avoid different triggers because people can, you know, you, you, you say one word and you put one meaning into the word and then another person get tri- gets triggered with that word and mis- like misinterprets it. So that creates all this distortion. So that's why when we focus on connection, we focus, okay, my intention is to connect with you. And if I don't use the right word, you know, I also want you to step into the place to connect with me because I can't be perfect. <laughs> like It's not just my job to connect with you and do all the work, but you'll have right. to be also open and understand that my intention is to connect and understand rather than attack and blame or complain, you know, yeah. so that that is a huge uh, piece for sure. And communication is hard. Even when you're good at it, it is really hard because we do just like you just said with the words and we use the same words or phrases, but we have different meanings. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember figuring this out many years ago when I was dating somebody and I was much less healthy emotionally back then. And I was way more mm-hmm. reactive and insecure and codependent. I was all of those unattractive things for a long, long time. And I remember being on the phone with my boyfriend and he's like, oh, babe, I have to go. Let me call you back in a little while. I got to get this call. Let me call you back in a little while. And I was like, okay, great. Well, to me, a little while meant like within the hour. Mm. Well, to him, a little while meant well, it meant nothing. It was more like a figure of speech (laughs) because he would say that and he would totally forget, you know? So then I would take it personally. I can't believe he's not calling me back. You know, he's blowing me off. He said he was going to call back in a little while and now it's the next day and I haven't heard from him and what's wrong with him and what did I do? And then I would be mad. And then he would call and be like, Hey babe, what's going on? And I'd be mad. Right. And then I would Mm. start a fight. Mm -hmm. And so it's those little kind of things. He didn't do anything wrong. You Mm -hmm. could not have convinced me that back then. But now (laughs) as an emotionally healthy person, I understand he didn't do anything wrong. It's just one of those weird communication things, right? Because a Mm -hmm. little while meant one thing to me and it means something different to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And this is also like what I like to say, uh, verbal communication, only 7% of our interaction with external world and other people. So the rest is nonverbal, any kind of expression, body language, energetics, what we feel. People actually subconsciously read our energy, what we feel. When we talk to somebody and we feel in a certain way, it's been translated to another person, you know, perception, like perceiving those wavelengths. So it, it is actually very important. We think <laughs> we can camouflage it, but and even if they're not aware, they still read that energy and respond to how, you know, to what is behind our words. Yeah. And there's so many layers of this energetic communication, but we rely on words so much. And usually, you know, like I said, especially with, if I know somebody hasn't done their own inner work or they're like maybe, you know, healing, you know, doing or starting their own inner work and, 
uh, I usually dismiss like 90% what they say if I feel it's coming from the place of wounding or trauma. It's like, well, I can understand. Like, I don't take it personal because like, I know who I am. I'm, you know, <laughs> I love myself. So I don't take it personal. I don't think they're trying to attack me. I know certain uh, expressions, the way our reactions, they come from wounding and their own inner pain. So uh, they might see that somebody who <laughs> is trying to hurt them. And that's their projection. So when I when I don't focus on that, and then I refocus and shift my attention to something that actually matters, the connection, understanding, like being there for them, like, oh, I see you even through this, you know, the fog of confusion, you know, that actually changes everything as well. Like uh, learning to do that and knowing that uh, doing our own emotional work and not be reactive, you know, not just like, go with the first reaction because we also have some traumas and wounds and there are layers uh, also layers of those things uh, so it is important to also clear our own emotional body from all these triggers and like center ourselves and then connect from that place and when we clear ourselves we can see other people's trauma and other people's triggers with more clarity and can have more compassion and navigate that much better yeah, boy, you fit right in here on Addiction Unlimited because that is everything I talk about is that personal responsibility and doing your own work and having your own awareness of yourself and how you're behaving in the world and all the things that other people do that drive you crazy. Instead of being mad at them, make sure you're not doing the same things. <laughs> Because usually yes. we're doing the same things. And, you know, I don't have any control over other people. So the one thing I can figure out is me. And I want to make sure, certainly in a relationship, if I'm going to, be, because to me, being in a relationship has, there's a responsibility there. If I am going to be the significant other for someone, then I feel like I have a responsibility to have my head together and to be able to communicate and to be able to consider that person and their feelings. I have to make sure I'm in that space before I reel somebody in and, and tell them they should be my boyfriend. You know, like there's, there's a responsibility here and I don't have any control over anybody else and what they do or don't do, but I do have control over that within myself and how much I work on myself and make sure that I am a person I'm proud of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It all starts with us, you know, with our For own sure. inner work. And then other people mirror us because, you know, we, we do attract people who are on the same frequency and they mirror us and they show us actually there is lots of truth they can show us through relationship. It's like, hmm, interesting, how is that related to me? And sometimes we think it's something opposite, like mm -hmm. the opposite of being attracted, like the victim perpetrator dynamics. But we we do have both energies, so we're basically co-creating anything that we don't like mm -hmm. in the relationship. We're co-creating it, so it's very hard for some people to admit it and actually look into the depth. Okay, where is it? And sometimes it's more on the uh, on the level of emotions, and like if somebody always feels like bitter and resentful, and they you know they complain about it, and then I see it outside. 
but then it's it's our emotional states as well that doesn't, doesn't matter why we feel that way but if mm-hmm. we feel that way we <laughs> the universe gives us more opportunities to feel that way more mm-hmm. and more you know yeah so what are some of the most toxic behaviors you see in coupling like either in in having relationships or in choosing partners either way because I know I was toxic for a long time. <laughs> I was not good at this. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, the, I think the hardest one is when we inherit certain pat- relationship pattern, toxic relationship pattern from our parents. Because we're, before age of seven, we were not capable to filter any information that comes our way. So whatever we experience, we take it as it is, as the ultimate truth. So when we're exposed to this, you know, family dynamics and relationship between parents, basically what we learn on subconscious level uh, that this is how relationship work. <laughs> and whatever we learn after that, it's more like an intellectual mental level. It doesn't really uh, have the roots deep into our subconscious mind that you know can counterbalance our first experience so if we had really like traumatic childhood and like whatever it is there are different patterns right there can be like abusive relationship that father father could be like addicted to alcoholic and whatever drug addicted and like would be abusive to mother and the mother would be submissive wouldn't be able to uh you know work through it wouldn't be able to leave him you know all this and they would replay it over and over and over again and like and that's <laughs> what the experience we have and that's what we remember on the deeper level so later on in life we replay these patterns and it's like really it's the hardest thing to you know to do this work that allows us to unlock you know unlink these things and like finally create more conscious healthy beautiful relationships because the the triggers will shoot back there you know as soon as we let go of like awareness and like stop doing our inner work that's why the inner work is massive it it can bring us right back there Uh, so but it's also I believe we need to have certain level of self-compassion and like understandings like, well, this is how it works. And this is why I feel this way. Have I felt it before? Oh, yes. Many times, you know, and uh, I love to use like experiential tools like uh, breathwork, working in expanded states of consciousness, uh, some tantric practices for couples, by the way, they're very powerful mm-hmm. because we're working not just like, on the mental level, but we work on somatic level, we access unconscious and intuitive material, and we can process and release deeper layers of trauma. So that's uh, that's what I find the most difficult is like, whoa. <laughs> it's really hard to change but it's possible yeah and I think that's so true I mean I did not know that up to seven years old like you can't filter like you're literally just soaking up everything that's happening I never thought about it like that and it's fascinating on so many levels because as a person who has been doing inner work for so many years now and really trying to untangle all of my mess, <laughs> it's I have realized this in so many areas of my life, right? Not only carrying on um, those relationship sort of habits, um, 
but also like financial things, you know, mm-hmm. financial habits and, and just personal habits and work ethic. And I mean, some of the things that I learned were really fantastic you know? mm-hmm. <laughs> and some were not so fantastic. How would you recommend for people who are really interested and ready to start doing some inner work how would you recommend somebody get started? Somebody that has never done anything before, no therapy, no counseling, no nothing. What would your recommendation be as a beginner inner work? Yeah, <laughs> there are so many different uh, ways, but I would recommend to actually uh, find a coach or mentor or therapist or uh, group therapy or start reading books that they recommend, you know, start doing your own practices. That would be uh, the fun. That's the fundamental thing, like to build up your own practices, to do whatever, whatever you are drawn to, like meditation. Now meditation doesn't need to be like sitting still, you know, you know this buddhist style meditation <laughs> right, right you can do like movement movement meditation like i i, I practice holotropic breath work as a tool where we, we use lots of movement and sound and we use music so it, it can be very dynamic uh journaling you know cultivating that awareness like constantly asking yourself okay why do i feel this way have i felt it before what was the first time I felt it? So kind of like to pull all, all these threads that mm-hmm. uh, have these deep roots, you know. Sometimes we feel certain things and we don't know exactly why or we don't question. So journaling or guided journaling can be a very powerful technique. Uh, I love using uh, experiential tools a lot, like uh, tantric practices. We work with body uh, embodiment. We work with breath. We work with uh, movement. We work with our voice, you know, just experience expressing, vocalizing things, not necessarily verbalizing, but vocalizing, like opening ourselves up uh, to to free certain blockages also, because we also operate, many people operate within this kind of narrow box of conditioning, what is right and wrong, Mm -hmm. how we should do this, you know, am I, will people judge me if I do this or I say that, there's like also the processing what is the, our own truth, working on these discernments versus what is the conditioning of the society of culture, you know, what doesn't feel quite right because, um, by the way, it can be sometimes like, I believe addictive personalities actually many times they, they hold this code of genius and because they can't unlock that code, they can't, uh, they, they start following this um, self-destructive uh, patterns that's how it works somehow like if this genius energy can find it uh, the channel a healthy channel of expression it can find distracted uh, uh, channel that's what i noticed as well i would agree with that statement so much because people with addiction we have brains that function very fast And for us, that can manifest as anxiety and it creates uncertainty, which builds on the anxiety and it can be very overwhelming, right? Which will lead to a million things, depression and leads us to self-medicate. But because our brains move so fast, like 
I have this hunger and need for information that can be exhausting. Like I literally want to know everything on the planet. <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> constantly just reading and learning and my brain just thrives. Like I just love that stuff. And I say this so often, you know, that being an alcoholic is the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it mm -hmm. led me to my higher purpose and my higher level as a human being and put me on a path that I never would have found before, you know, outside of that. And, and I want so badly for people with addiction to understand that we are these crazy, intelligent people and we are vibrant and funny and smart and resilient. And we are all mm. of these things that are a lot the result of having that kind of addictive personality. And if I don't feed my brain and nourish it and keep it busy, <laughs> mm -hmm. it can definitely turn on me and be very mm -hmm. unkind. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but it does it just it requires a lot. It my brain requires a lot of attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I totally can feel it too like I, I do consider myself addictive personality in general I just found I think I was uh, lucky or like I did my work at a very early age to find kind of healthy addiction like I walk out in the gym for example like I can't stop doing it I did it you know I started doing it when I was 18 and I just my body needs like I feel grumpy when I don't do this mm -hmm. or like I need to do yoga uh, another addiction, addiction, the healthy addiction, I call it, I had is like skydiving. I was so obsessed with skydiving. I mean, yeah, it is a bit dangerous. There is some kind of a, a risk factor, adrenaline, you know, kind of thing. But, but that's, I mean, its, that's its own addiction, by the way, adrenaline. <laughs> yeah. there are, and, you meet a lot, and you meet a lot of people with addiction that have those things, right? They're high risk takers. They love mm -hmm. that kind of stuff. Skydiving and back in the day, bungee jumping and all those mm -hmm. kind of things. I mean, there's definitely, that is a real thing, addicts and adrenaline. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's more about like, how can we make it healthy, like... How can we create healthy environment for this, this need for of for intensity? Like, like I feel like I love the intensity. It's like so. Mm -hmm. What is the healthy way to find this intense self-expression and intense exchange of energy, right, with external world? So, like I was participating in the national record of Ukraine with skydiving. That was like a cre creative project, right? It's like putting that into like not just like doing it for the sake of release, but also like creating something. Yeah. Yeah, because it also is about that intent to, you know, I I have, I can't say that I am an exercise addict, but I am <laughs> definitely a fitness person and a healthful person. But the intent behind that for me is my mental health. It is mm -hmm. so much better for my anxiety. I have anxiety that can be debilitating at times. And I'm so scared to death that someday in my life, they're going to tell me I have to take anti-anxiety medication. <laughs> and it scares me so much. I'm like, I will do anything and natural, I will do anything mm -hmm. to manage this on my own and to stay healthy because I don't, I don't want to be in that position, you know, is it's just not, it's just not my thing and not what I want. Mm -hmm. So it, yeah. it is kind of having the right intention behind it and not using it 
to achieve, (laughs) to numb feelings or to Mm -hmm. escape my life, right? Because all my negative addictions, that's what I'm doing really is I'm numbing Mm -hmm. and escaping. Yes. But but really recognizing what the drive is, what's driving you to do things uh, to make it healthy or unhealthy. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's art. I feel it's like a form of art to find healthy channels for all this intense energy all this massive potential that we have you know all yes. many if we look at you know at artists and musicians and like rock stars there are so many talented people who didn't end well you know like mm-hmm. were alcohol addicted addicted to alcohol drugs whatever mm-hmm. you know, suicidal whatever. Yeah. it's like it's because they have this intensity and this need for like massive self-expression so they just need to create all these containers and sustain certain level of dynamics and you know, energetic flow and exchange yeah. that feeds that, you know, and as you say, like, yeah, the brain works so fast. So you have to constantly catch up. So it, it requires more work than Definitely. for people who are more like low key, right? Definitely requires more work. There's no question. I, and this is something that can be challenging too, because when you're drinking, it lowers your inhibition it makes you more willing to do different things and you're not so consumed with what will people think you're not so caught up in being judged and the fear of judgment or whatever right you just don't care you have some drinks mm-hmm. you can do whatever and you just don't care when you're sober you don't have that edge right because now all your inhibitions and insecurities and all those overwhelming feelings are fully intact and mm-hmm. i think we yeah. can we can get i want to say lazy because i am intrinsically lazy so i can get very lazy with things if i'm not careful um it's something i always have to be aware of but i know for other people it's not lazy but it can be fear driven where they aren't so willing to go out and find things, find channels, ways to expend their energy, things to explore, to put their energy into things, activities, hobbies, things that make them happy because mm-hmm. all of our inhibitions are fully intact. So it's like, we're fearful. Yeah. Like, oh, well, that dance class sounds great, but I don't want to do that because I don't want to embarrass myself. Mm-hmm. Or like you said earlier, you speak several languages. You know, I speak Spanish and I'm starting Italian now. And that's one of the biggest barriers is getting over that embarrassing yourself, right? And saying mm-hmm. something wrong. And I always try to get everybody to learn another language because I think it's so powerful and it's such a great way to build self esteem and it's really hard but that's good for us mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's good for yeah. us to do hard things and stick to it and but it is it was always the fear of embarrassing myself you know and that's what everybody says like oh i can't do that i can't learn another language i'm mm-hmm. like yes you can mm-hmm. if like 2 3 and 4 year olds are doing it i promise you you can do it you know <laughs> Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're not yeah. so willing to go find new things, new ways to express ourselves and activities and hobbies to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And they can see it as a very healthy channel just 
overcoming the obstacles and overcoming uh, like stepping out of this uh, comfort zone you know like that feeling is also like very liberating and it, it can feed addictive personalities a lot like oh my yes. god I'm doing this and you have this you know nervousness and you're like oh my god <laughs> like how is it gonna go you know but then you do it and you feel this uh there's certain you know explosion of emotions and like positive emotions and positive chemicals and like oh my god I've, I've done this like and then mo and moving forward constantly and finding the right uh, rhythm like so I believe mm -hmm. every person has certain like dynamics and rhythm that they need to find to to feel like they are constantly growing and moving and so energy is flowing you know keeping the momentum uh, and each person has a different one because sometimes people like also like oh work work too hard you know like finding that you know um optimal kind of line when you're like enjoying yourself you're stretching you're growing but not like exhausting yourself to the place when you can use it also as like as a, a form of escape because like they right. also say it's like they're work workaholics yeah. <laughs> which in the united states is also like kind of like a thing right because yes. of cultural cultural qualities so yeah, I do, I do believe it can be very healthy uh, and it's very personal. Like it's it ha can be customized for each person, what works for them, you know? Mm -hmm. Now, earlier you were talking about containers. Give me a little insight with your theory and these containers and what you mean by that. Yeah, that's my favorite topic. <laughs> As a relationship coach, I love to see, uh, you know, the con relationship containers. Relationship container is something that holds our relationship, providing certain conditions so our relationship can thrive and grow and expand. And it's all based on truth, you know, what is our inner truth is about showing up authentically. So I really love to go and do you know, relationship container inventory, because many people like, for, let's say marriage, right? People take it as a container, but nobody really investigates what they sign up for. Kind of a vague idea. And there is lots of fairy tale kind of energy, how it's going to work miraculously, especially women's like, I'm going to get married and this is going to be so beautiful. <laughs> but it doesn't work that way. Right. And also remembering like uh, looking like zooming out on the from personal level to collective like this container was created like thousands of years ago and at the time women didn't have um, freedoms they didn't have rights so like there are lots of like old kind of toxic beliefs that um, this container holds <laughs> still that we need to transform and reshape and customize for each couple because like each couple is different right each person is different they will have different personality type we have different archetype we have you know energy dynamics you know desires needs gifts will different people so we can't possibly fit in in the same universal container that works for everybody so that's why it's like it doesn't really matter because it's like whatever semantics like <laughs> you're married or not married but it's it's more about what container you want to create that you can thrive and your relationship can thrive and grow. Uh, I love using uh, tantric uh, sacred union because it's based on truth and growth and we create fundamental agreements 
when we create a relationship, we create agreements. And that the agreements can evolve, of course, but we create a prearranged agreements of how we're going to hold this relationship, what conditions we need to create, uh, what we need to release from this old belief system that we inherited from our parents and culture, what is our truth and how we want to do it. There can be some experimentation, you know, to at the beginning to create the right container. But when you have these powerful tools and when you want to be authentic, you want you don't want to give in to like pretending and like, you know, impressing, <laughs> seducing, by the way. Like I feel like there's such a big topic for right now like, to become a seductress. I actually don't think it's a good thing because like it's a form of manipulation. Right. <laughs> like you you can do that, but then if you you seduced your man, then another woman can come and seduce him as well if he's like mm. so <laughs> sensitive to seduction. So it's like not using any kind of manipulation tools, but like really grounding the relationship, like truth and growth. Like what do you want to create? What's the truth? And sometimes it's so hard to say the truth because like, of course, everybody wants to hear the best about themselves and compliments. And it's, it's hard to hear <laughs> that something is not quite there or your partner doesn't quite feel connected to you. Like it's, it's really hard, but actually that deepens intimacy this is how we sustain the depth of this connection because it's beautiful and because it's true Mm -hmm. well it's interesting too that we do tend to get our feelings hurt by things right we don't want to hear this is so fascinating to me because we we do personalize things and you don't want to hear that there's something about you that your partner doesn't like, right? Whether it's a physical trait or an emotional thing, a reaction, a word you use, like whatever. People get very injured when their partner says something that they don't care for about them, right? And to me, I think, well, of course, there are going to be things that your part, to me, that's so logical, but see, I'm logical. I'm extreme mm-hmm. logical to a fault. And <laughs> so to me, I'm like, well, of course there are going to be things they don't like. Like I'm sure there's going to be things that I don't like about my partner too. You, it, nobody's a hundred percent. Nobody's perfect. We're not a perfect fit for one another, but it also doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with you just mm-hmm. because you chew your food with your mouth open and your partner doesn't like that and thinks (laughs) it's gross or whatever. doesn't mean that you're a gross, terrible human being, right? It just means that that's, that's a piece that you guys do differently. It's nothing to get your feelings hurt over or to be injured over, to have a fight over. It's just normal. Like we're all going to have stuff that we don't care for about each other and that's okay. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the self-worth is the foundation. So when somebody doesn't like, there will be always people who don't like something about us. So we we can't possibly focus on that and just like do the people pleasing thing. But this this pattern is so deep. Like I find it so running so deep into our subconscious because we were also brought up this way. It's like what we what is appropriate, what is not appropriate. 
this is how you're supposed to feel when you're married and when you love somebody. You're not supposed to feel disconnected. Like you can't say that because it's going to hurt the feelings, you know, though it's actually a totally normal cycle, connect, disconnect. That's another thing right. that I teach is like, it's the universal law of reason. Right. You know, you connect, you disconnect. When you disconnect from your partner, you actually have an opportunity to connect with yourself mm-hmm. and keep your autonomy, like who you are without your partner, you know, not to become like completely dependent on each other this way uh so like when i work with people like it it seems like they they kind of understand that but then like they still don't feel that authentic connection and deep intimacy because there are some little hooks somewhere in subconscious when they feel they should behave in certain way or they should say something or they should feel this way and they don't when they don't they try to hide it because it's inappropriate or it's like oh that that means you don't love me so this uh, we have to completely untangle all of that to to make it like normal like sometimes you feel this sometimes you feel that understand yourself why you feel this way first Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. you can connect with your partner and like allow that from both sides you know Mm -hmm. then it becomes more beautiful and what feel scary actually allows us to create much deeper level of intimacy and like like in tantra like we say like we can have this experience with the merge into one like it's our body it's not my body or your body but it it has to be like uh, we need to do lots of emotional work to be able to open up to that level especially for women women can't really even open up sexually when they not open emotionally so emotional intimacy always goes first right right what are let me start that over (laughs) how do you recommend people to navigate i feel like there is this age-old situation of certainly when couples have been together a long time where women lose their sex drive men's sex drive stays intact like in all the couples I've ever worked with, I swear to you, 99.9% of them, this was a piece of their marital discomfort, right? One was more sexual than the other. How do you begin to bridge that gap? Yeah, it's a huge challenge. And again, it's uh, I connected with the relationship containers because if you see <laughs> how we do it, it's just like uh, our relationship containers are not aligned with the universal laws of energy. And then they are not customized of who we are because like we're different people, as I said. So it's very important to look what is affecting. Like, for example, I see this uh, connection between like security, you know, stability, um, safety you know like the male role is provided protected to keep things together so many times women feel pressure that if they don't have sex, regular sex with their partner it means something is wrong with the relationship and their men start to feel you know not happy and they so they start to do it out of duty or obligation and that completely kills the the vibe it's like it's not it's not going to work that way mm-hmm. so beforehand we have to step back and say well If that doesn't work that way, at least I have to acknowledge what is happening. (laughs) Like, what is the truth? What is going on? Uh, And like, have that space, allow that space, that have that agreement to share. Is like that. I feel pressure. Like I feel like it's a duty. I, I don't have enough space to find 
that natural flow of attraction because I like to say sexuality is extremely tricky and it's like a wild animal like if you trap wild animal it's not going to be wild anymore <laughs> it's not going to be the same mm -hmm. so the same thing happens in in marriage or like this uh long-term relationship we're trying to like kind of trap that wild animal and then expect it to be the same <laughs> it's like it doesn't right. make any sense right so right. that's why like i absolutely in love with tantra like and i focus on working with the female sexuality because this is something that is not addressed enough and whatever we learn about sex and sexuality actually has masculine nature it's a masculine pattern of sexuality masculine pathways of arousal that we follow like what what do we learn from we don't even have enough education people watch porn but this is all masculine women don't right. <laughs> So then a man learns that, let's say young man learns how to have sex from porn videos and he comes and tries to do the same thing with his girlfriend and it doesn't really work the same way. Women <laughs> are the ones who like fake orgasm and like pretend to have pleasure. But the truth, like because I've worked with the women on such intimate level, the truth is like many women don't even enjoy sex and they feel that it's more like, their pleasure is more like a side effect. So yes. I, I'm like big advocate for like female sexuality and understanding how it works because it's it works the opposite in the opposite way. Yeah. <laughs> the opposite way from masculine. So that would be a huge uh, transformation for many couples to understand how different we are and also how it's connected with emotional intimacy because we are the opposite. With emotions, we're opposite. We're, we're faster, men are slower. And then sexuality, men are faster, we're slower. So it's like, how do we navigate that? But beforehand, right. it's education. Like we need to learn that what we struggle with is universal because you said 99.9%. <laughs> it means it's this universal. And this is, we're doing something that is not aligned with who we are on the collective level. And then we're trying to take it in our personal relationship. And of course it doesn't work. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think too, at a certain, those of us at a certain age and over, you know, sex was a very different thing. You know, when I was younger and started having sex, like my boyfriend had zero interest in my level of enjoyment in the activity. <laughs> it was all about the man always. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, and I think I, I know for sure for myself, something that I have experienced in, like you're saying, um, women having sex out of obligation. I know for me, I have felt it as a sense of control, right? Mm -hmm. Where they're trying, trying to control me and making me feel like if I don't do this, then I'm not a good girlfriend, you mm -hmm. know, and it starts to feel very controlling. And I can promise mm -hmm. you that you're not going to get far with that approach, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because it just, absolutely it engages a whole other set of emotional things that, mm -hmm. that most of us will rebel against. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, we still have this situation that has a root in like 
thousands and thousands of years of this patriarchy. <laughs> you know, just this belief system and the way we do things and like focusing on male sexuality. It was like, oh, these women are men. They, they need to learn how to please a man. You know? Right, right. But the truth is uh, in my work that what I discovered is a woman is a receiver in a relationship with a man. That we receive sperm and then we give life. So our receiving is prior so we have to completely unlearn and relearn everything about sexuality. And many times what they also see, which is very sad, and people don't even enjoy sex. They talk about a lot about it. But when it comes to sex, there's so much in their heads. They can't relax. They can't sink into these uh, expanded states of consciousness. Because like, if we want to connect on a very deep, intimate level, we operate on the, in expanded states of consciousness. This is like, like our body produces dmt when we have orgasm you know the, something that you use with the psychedelics you know like it's mm -hmm. a natural state to be there and uh, unfortunately many times sex is being used as a form of as a tool of manipulation so like i give you right. sex if you give me this if you give me attention right. or if you like if you do this for me then i give you sex so this is like like that's not going to take us anywhere that is not intimacy so we have to like do lots of work there and beforehand it's education to understand it's not your unique story because this is what we inherited from our culture and our society right, right. do you well i'm sure you do uh, do you deal with a lot of attachment issues like is that something you deal with in your practice as well like healthy and unhealthy attachment avoidant attachment all of those kind of things yeah, that's a uh, that's a big topic, especially for women because women are wired through love. We want to be loved, and we 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 have this need to constantly be in loving relationship and have that exchange ongoing. Whether it's like intense or like it has to be there, right? So this is kind of love attachment. Men, most men are wired through freedom, so they try not to attach themselves. So it's like constant tension between in these games you know undercurrent like un it's like undercurrent of all the relationship like playing this game of attach and detach mm -hmm. and the, the way i see it is to to really accept and align our relationship container with the universal law of rhythm which is connect disconnect so it's like allow that natural disconnect for, for, for us women just allow to disconnect from your partner as a natural cycle and disconnect it means like it doesn't mean you go to you know vacation to the beach with your girlfriends and you keep texting your, your partner it's like disconnect completely and just remember how it feels to be just on your own just your energy you know you're not thinking or like you know trying to energetically connect with your partner and then when you come back you what happens basically that you refresh uh, your own energy. So you you maybe connect with other people, other experiences, and it's like um, reset button, like everything changes. Then you can feel more attraction and more energy between you because there's something new energy is coming in. Otherwise, it's like always that becomes stagnant, you know? If it's just like you and your partner, you and your partner, and then you feel like, what? where is the boundary between me who I am and who he is, you know? Right. So it's very healthy to, to practice that and find your own rhythm in your relationship. Some people need more private time. Some people need less. So just finding that sweet spot. 
It seems like I always think like when you see the couples at dinner and like, they're not even talking to each other. Like everybody's just in their phone. And I I always think Mm -hmm. like, well, they don't have anything to talk about because you're together every day and you live together and you're raising your children together. Like there's nothing that you don't know about each other. Like, so what do you have to talk about? Mm -hmm. And I know two people with children, for sure, you get so consumed in taking care of your kids and raising your kids and trying to do such a good job and manage a household and be a good partner and have a job. I mean, it's a lot. Mm. It is so much to do in a day's time. And at the same time, it's like there has to be something separate because if the only thing you have to talk about are your kids... Like you lose sight of who you are as an individual. Mm -hmm. Is that, does that make sense or am I just way off base? (laughs) Absolutely. It makes sense. (laughs) That's what this relationship (laughs) container that we created, this marriage, it's, it doesn't really work for, for modern people because our, we go, we're going through a huge energetic uh, consciousness upgrade right now. So we like start to feel more powerful, more spiritual, like certain things that were like woofoo before now is like top, you know, ranked in this coaching world and personal development world, you Mm -hmm. know, like now we're talking about the energetic laws of the universe. They're teaching it in business coaching now. So our needs are changing and we're dropping all this fear that we've been carrying for like thousands of years. And we're bringing the balance between masculine and feminine on the collective level, because women become powerful in the real way, not like we had this feminist movement, which was very, very important step, but it was more like women became men <laughs> rather than women became powerful as women. Now it's happening right now. Right. Um, so like all this, imagine how can the wild animal of sexuality of like this, you know, attractiveness, this, you know, fun and passion, how can it survive if we like put so much pressure on each other? So my solution is actually to look through, to have that relationship container inventory and decide what would work for you to maybe expand your support system, develop a network of complementary relationships, uh, have other people that can be part of your life, part of your support system. It it takes also to work with the, (laughs) you know, scarcity mentality piece that Mm -hmm. we all need to do it ourselves and we need to save money. And like that has to go as well, because like, let's say I don't like cooking. Like if I have to cook every day, like, I don't, I don't feel happy. Like I can cook like maybe once a week when I'm excited and free and like take my time. So what is the solution? Like I can hire somebody to cook for me or there are different. Now we have all these uh, entrepreneurs who develop these tools and this support for people who don't like to cook so that mm-hmm. you can still eat healthy and just order this, you know, set like they, they sell this kind of um Meal, meal, yeah, meal, meal preps. Yeah. <laughs> it's like that's a solution, or like uh, we can develop a relationship with other couples who have kids and you know take turns taking care of them, right? We can have there are so many like different solutions that we can, like, for example, even like that, that can be very radical for somebody <laughs> to hear. But I had experience living with a friend and 
sharing practicalities, you know, taking care of the house. This one, the first time I moved to California, I was completely changing my life, like really, you know, single mom, two years old, uh, moved to California, didn't know exactly what's going to happen, just trusting. And I, I shared the house because it was a beautiful place, but it, it, it was more expensive than I thought. So I, we had this friend who shared a house with us and we shared our bills, you know, like we paid bills together, we took care of the practicalities and then I met my partner and we were in a relationship for a year before we started to live together. That was actually a very interesting model. <laughs> like you can, you can live, it doesn't need to be so black and white, you know, like mm-hmm. you maybe you want to live in the house that have, you know, kind of like um, with two entrances and you don't share all the living space. Like there are so mm-hmm. many creative ways to do this and not to like put this lid on top of your relationship and like suffocate inside uh, that. And it's all available if we were willing to do our work and actually create this container because yes of course it takes work and it's easier to fall in autopilot and like just do do it the way everybody does and it can create certain like people might not understand what you're exactly doing but it's more like opening up like what works for me you know like I'm willing to be free and creative and like collaborative and like true to myself yeah I love that that's so good So Lana, really quickly, tell everybody where they can find you. This has been such an awesome conversation. I love too that you just said what was woo-woo before is becoming so normal now because I remember even, you know, 20 years ago when I was living in Hollywood and if I would come back to my hometown, Kansas city. If I would go back to Kansas city and talk about meditating, people would look at me like I had five heads, you know, like it was (laughs) such a foreign people were like meditating, like, Oh, you're so California now. Well, now everybody meditates, you know, (laughs) like to find out people, it's not all that weird, but (laughs) that's so good. That's so, it's been such an awesome conversation with you. I appreciate it. How can everybody find you if they want to learn more about you? I have a website. It's really easy to remember. Lana Elko coaching.com. And you can find me on social media, Instagram, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, Lana Elko, my brand called Intimate Universe. Intimate Universe. I love that. And I will link all of that in the show notes for the listeners. So you guys can find that right from the show notes and click on Lana and find out more about her. Lana, thank you again so much for coming on and doing this with me. I really appreciate your insight. Thank you so much, Angela. It was absolute pleasure and it was fun. It was free. Like I really enjoyed this conversation as well. And I hope it will be helpful. You've reached the end of another great episode of the Addiction Unlimited podcast. Candid and honest conversation about addiction and recovery. Be sure to visit us at addictionunlimited.com to join the conversation and access show notes and links to everything we talked about. Love this episode? Please take 30 seconds to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes to help us improve and give you the information you want. Thanks for listening. See you next week.